This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It's from the book of Revelation, entitled The Seven Churches of Revelation. You can find all of our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You'll also find my dad's weekly essays that he writes there, and you can subscribe to them, uh, get them emailed to you. Uh, if you put your email in the little email subscribe box and our theme music as always is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can find him at evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does All right, Revelation 1. The revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Yeshua Messiah and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. All right, when it says for those who read and those who hear, it, it, it has in the, the, the synagogue mindset or the local church mindset, we'll say, because everybody didn't have 14 Bibles at home that they could grab off the shelf. So they got together, and it was read out loud, and people would listen to it. So there was a blessing pronounced for the guy that did the reading, because it's a lot of work to read. You should try doing it and have to read to everybody and try to make a flow and not stumble all over your tongue. So the guy that has to read this whole book to everybody that's listening, there's a blessing upon him, and there's a blessing on the poor schmucks that have to listen. But there is a personal blessing when you read it on your own as well. I don't want to diminish that, but I, I also want to highlight really more of what is being said about in that verse. All right, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Yeshua Messiah who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. See, there's our first even so. The book closes with an even so. Eight, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. He was, he was basically in prison for standing for the Lord. Ten. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, 
I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and behold, I'm sorry, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his flame, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. All right, so that's the introduction to where I want to go. And we're just going to read each church. I'm going to give a little summary and move on. Um, angels. This thing about uh, the seven, where it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. There's a whole lot of discussion about this. Some think it refers to, if you come from an independent fundamental Baptist background, that's usually run by a pastor of a church with an assistant or associate and deacons. The typical understanding is it's talking about the pastor of the church. Well, the biblical model is there's no, quote, pastor. There's elders. There's, there's bishops. It's a plurality. So, usually, now, there usually is, even with the Baptistic churches that believe in eldership, there's one guy that always does the preaching primarily, and he becomes the focal guy who becomes really the, the pastor of the church. You, you can't get around it. So I don't think it's talking about the pastor of that local church. I rather want to believe and do believe that there is an angel, an actual angel, because we're, we're told in Corinthians that the angels are in presence at the services and worship services. So potentially, and, and I'm not the only one, it's my Morris Study Bible that actually highlights this aspect of it. Uh, uh, Henry Morris was the first creationist big deal guy, and all that have come after him, the Ken Hams and all these guys, are out of his work, really. Uh, but uh, Henry Morris, in his, in, in his study Bible, says he, he thinks that it is an actual angel. You know, why not think that there's actually an angel that's assigned to watch over a local church? I don't have a problem with that, and I like that, and it seems to make sense. Now, if that's the case, 
He didn't say this in his notes. But I got to think, if that is the case, well, then it's talking about an assembly of believers that meet under the heading of an ecclesia at one time as a group, and this is where they meet. And that angel is there as well. And, and it really, if you think about it, you know, I don't know how much of the Bible you've read, but we're talking about, I think it's Corinthians, where the angels that are in attendance or however it says, that's just mind-blowing. There's this whole unseen world out there that I always forget about. And we might even, as Zion Hebraic congregation, pity the poor angel that gets us, but, you know, we might have an angel assigned to, to take care of, to look over us. I don't know. But anyway, all right, now. Um, for me, what I, I always... For me, um, I've never tried to memorize all the seven churches until just lately. You know, I could told you, you know, randomly, you know, probably all of them, but I wanted to, to, to learn them for myself in order. So I came up with an acrostic because I have to have a way to latch onto stuff. So I took the first letter for each church, and as I did that, then I thought, okay, it came out ESP. Okay, well, that was easy to remember, extrasensory perception. So that's easy. ESP, then the next one is T. All right, P and T, that went together. So I have ESPT, and then after that, you have the S and the P, the second two letters of the ESP. So, okay, that's pretty cool. ESPT, ES, I'm sorry, ESP, ESPT, SPL. So ESPT, SPL. All right, now, can I do this? Uh, Ephesus, uh, I think it's Smyrna. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now I've been reading the Bible all these years and I never did that. And it's always bugged me because I've just never done it. And it's just plain laziness. No need to other than I just wanted to, to, to do it for myself so that I can remember because this is an important book being written to these seven churches, and I'm, it's like, gosh, could I list all seven of them, you know, in order? So anyway, if, if that's helpful to you, and take that for other things, because I'll do that for other things, like verses that I try to memorize, and I stumble over because there's certain things listed, you know, blah, uh, blah, 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 so I try to figure out ways. Anyway, that's my acrostic. All right, so all... I'm almost done. All my introduction. All seven of these churches are, in one way or another, a representation of all churches in all ages. Some want to take these seven churches and make them specific for this period of time frame, this period of time frame. And the Laodicean church is a, is just just a disaster, and that's when Jesus comes. I'm not saying that's not accurate. I don't hold to that completely or exclusively. I think. It could be the case, and perhaps there's a lot of merit to that, because I've read into it over the years. But I rather think, I say rather, I, in addition to that, I think, that these seven churches are so picked as an example, in the last book of the Bible, to close it out, because they are representative of all of God's churches of all times, in one way or another. There's things going on in each one of these local congregations that apply to our congregation and other congregations, depend, it doesn't matter what, what time frame you're living in. So, I've never done this before, and why I thought to do this the last time I just went through, 
I decided for myself, didn't think I was going to be preaching this at all, didn't even mention my head, that I wanted to do my own little personal synopsis of what's going on with each church, just so I could wrap my head around it. Because once I was so happy with my acrostic, and now I had them in order, then I thought, well, what's the next step? To write my own little brief summary for myself as to what is going on as I see it. So that's what I'm going to give you after we read each church. Disagree, agree, it doesn't matter to me, in, in essence. is For me, this is what I got. And, and if nothing else, what I'm trying to get you to see is you can do these same things yourself. You just have to read the Word of God, be in it, and submit yourself day after day to God's, the Holy Spirit working in your heart through His Word to mold you and shape you into His image. All right, so that's what we're going to do with this, and then we're going to be done. All right, so anybody know what the first church is without looking? Ephesus. Very good. So let's read about Ephesus. So chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. John's writing this. If you read his writings, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he loves to just use that word liars. He calls people liars all the time. 3. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of garden. I think it's interesting. We're going from Revelation all the way over back into Genesis. All right, now, Ephesus. What's going on here? All right, interesting. It talks about evil people and false apostles in verse 2. So, so th- already they're having to deal with error that's affecting them and, and, and they're called basically evil people and false prophets. I know the works of, and uh, labor and the patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. So there's your evil people. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles. False apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. Good for you. (laughs) And that's every congregation. You're going to have people that are just evil, and you're going to have those that that are just false apostles. Or claiming to be some such. Anyway, all right, so here, without preaching, here we go. So here's my thought, Ephesus. They had left, slash, forgot their first love, that early devotion to Christ. So they had left, slash, forgot their first love. Why? Because they were overly focused on doctrinal purity, 
to the extent it affected their relationship with Christ. I've seen that happen. They had left, forgot their first love because they were overly focused on doctrinal purity to the extent it affected their relationship with Christ. Now, I'm real big on doctrine and doctrinal purity, but if you're not careful, doctrinal purity can be that thing that you're just so focused on and so uh, fixated on that you lose sight of some of the other stuff that has to also go with doctrinal purity, and that is what happened to them. It affected their relationship with Christ. And at least that's how I see it in Ephesus. So, they're in, 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 infested with evil people, false apostles. And so in the midst of that and everything they're going through, they left, forgot their first love because they were overly focused on doctrinal purity to the extent it affected their relationship with Christ. I mean, he talks about how, you know, he has false apostles. Well, what are these apostles doing? They're bringing in false doctrine. Um, you have the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which... I don't even want to get into that. It could possibly be the establishing of a hierarchy and laity that abuses the position of, of leadership in, in congregations. I don't know. It's, it's hard to figure out. But, but they're focused on doctrinal purity. But he says, you forget, you forget about me, guys. You forget about me. You, you've left that first devotion that we had. You're good in doctrine, but don't lose that close personal intimacy with me because the two go together. You can get so warm, fuzzy on just Jesus that the doctrine falls away or you can get so dedicated and devoted to standing for doctrine. You lose the devotion. You have to have both. And we always swing the pendulum. First message, one of the first messages I ever gave to my, my, my church when I started pastoring was that Jesus was the most balanced person that's ever lived. That's what we need to be. Think about Jesus. Balanced. All right, anyways. So that's Ephesus. Smyrna, starting at verse 8 of chapter 2. And to the angel of the... Oh, sorry. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right, so what's going on with Smyrna? Well, I think it's interesting. Verse 9, um, they're dealing with some things. Uh, the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> I love that. Whatever that means. The synagogue of Satan. And then in verse 10, it says the devil's going to throw some of them into prison. God's going to allow that. So these people are dealing with demonic forces. You have the synagogue of Satan... And then you have the devil that God's going to allow to throw some of these poor people into prison. Maybe unto death. Because we're going to see there is a faithful martyr thrown in, the, in one of these churches. All right, so, so what's going on with uh, Smyrna? Perhaps, perhaps, 
They had become focused on what they didn't have. Because it says here, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty. But then he feels the need to say, but you're rich. So I'm wondering if perhaps they had become focused on what they did not have because of all they were facing and therefore lost perspective, focus on what they did have. Sound familiar? We can get so focused on what we don't have we forget what we do have. I do this myself personally all the time. I can complain about anything and everything. And every once in a while, Judy will remind me, whether it's during the time, the night she prays or just throughout the day, about the blessing of everything. <laughs> you know, kids, family, grandkids, we, where we live. I got a son and daughter-in-law that actually want us near them. You know, just a job. I mean, ah. And it's so easy to focus on our poverty that we forget how rich we are. I do. So perhaps they become focused on what they didn't have because of all that they were facing. They were going through difficult times. And therefore, in the midst of that lost perspective, focus on what they, focus on what they did have. They were rich spiritually and corporately as a body of believers. Ah, they were rich. If you have, let's think about we, we take a friend. If you have a group of people that you can assemble with, with on a regular basis on Shabbat, you're blessed. You're rich. All right? So that's Smyrna. Okay, got to get going here. Number three. All right? Uh, Pergamos 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Here's martyrdom here. I was talking about unto death. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, <clears throat> to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We're seeing this again. Which thing I hate. Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. All right, so that's Pergamus. Notice what they're facing. You have Satan in verse 13, mentioned twice, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And then at the end, the Antipas was slain where Satan dwells. And then in verse 14, it's talking about idolatry. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So, yeah. It looks like spiritual and moral debauchery somewhat infected in there. Now, um, what's going on with Pergamus? It's a doctrinal issue. 
Um, it's a doctrinal issue, as I've already said, in relation to Balaam and in relation to the Nicolaitans. Now, the positive, I think, is this. They had become, we'll say, it depends on how you, what term I want to use here, they had become lax or they had become beaten down doctrinally and morally because of the constant battle against and onslaught by their adversaries. Hence, Antipas was killed. So these, these poor people, I mean, they're being, they have doctrinal issues, they have, it looks like, moral issues, it looks like Satan is really uh, wreaking havoc there, and I think these people have either become lax or beaten down because of everything that they've had to go through, the constant battle that they had to uh, fight, and, and uh, by the adversaries, and I think perhaps they're just getting a little worn down there. All right, so that's Pergamos. All right. The fourth one, Thyatira, starting at verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and nah, she chose not to. She didn't repent. So what am I going to do? Behold, I'll cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak I will put upon you no other burden but that which ye have already Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, so that's, uh, where am I? Thyatira. So what's going on with Thyatira? All right, so... It's talking about, they have Jezebel, verse 20. They're dealing with the depths of Satan, verse 24. This is just some bad stuff going on. All right. Here's how I say it. And it's because of verse 19, and this is just me. But I think in verse 19, it talks about works, and then everything else, and then it comes back to works again. And as I read that, I just thought of something like this. They're so stuck in their own causality loop. It just keeps reoccurring or their own feedback loop, or picture a revolving door, or a feedback loop, uh, I said that, or a revolving door. Or, so they're, basically they're stuck in a root. So they're, they're caught in a causality loop, a feedback loop, a revolving door, or they're just stuck in the same rut. Works, da-da-da-da, works. Works, da-da-da-da-da, works. That's kind of just how I saw it. It's like, this repetitious thing, because it's always all these years I've read it, it talks about works in that verse, and it ends 
and your works, the works, the, the, the whatever it says. So there's a sandwich of works. And to me, perhaps they got stuck in this thing of works. And, and my church got involved with that as long as we're busy, as long as we're doing something for Jesus, as long as we have ministries running, as long as we're supporting missionaries, as long as we're doing, 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 we're good. Well, that's as bad as being too stuck on doctrine all the time or too stuck on being this warm, mushy Jesus thing. We can get stuck on a church just doing so much stuff and being so busy and having everybody so busy, you just get stuck in a rut of just being busy for Jesus. And it burns people out and it actually ruins ministries and this may be part of what the danger of what they're facing. So, they were so stuck in their own causality loop that things were becoming routine and stale. Therefore, the allure of the new and different and exciting overtook them. Ah, Jezebel the prophetess, let's hear what she has to say. Oh, look what she's doing. She has a new flavor, a new twist on everything. Oh, these people, they're studying the cult and learning about the depths of Satan, however that means. You know, so you get stuck in a rut, you start looking for the new and exciting, and maybe that's what happened here. It's boring to come here listen to me preach, or Luke preach, week in and week out, and week in and week out. There's so many other Jezebels and others out there that we can feed from. That's a whole lot more exciting than what we do. We don't dance with the nice wavy flaggy things. You know, we don't, we don't offer you a messianic feeling. But they do. It's easy. And we can get stuck in our own rut to where, well, sure, you want something more exciting and more entertaining than just this. That's why we always say, there's the door. But we have to be careful. I have to be careful that somehow we don't become our own entity and we're doing it just right and this is all it is and this is all it's supposed to be and this service this way, done this way, this kind of preaching, this monologue, dialogue, doctrinal thing. Even that can become warped. Right? So, anyway. So, what happens is they are reminded that faithfulness in the basics, and this is so important, Yeshua reminds them that faithfulness in the basics is what he takes notice of. It's what he praises. It's what he rewards. That's 25 through the end. So perhaps they needed to focus less on works and more on Christ's works. It's interesting because you have this thing of, of works. So uh, 19, I know thy works and thy works. But then when you get to verse 26, this was, I thought, interesting. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works. He's already highlighted their works twice. But he says, what I want you to do is keep my works. Works. Get our focus back on Yeshua. Get our focus back on Him. All right. I got to keep going here. Five. Sardis. All right. We're going to make it. Five, six, and seven. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write. Listen, we'll never ever do this again, so just hang here with me, all right? And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know they works. That thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found, found thy works perfect before God. 
Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I'll come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, Sardis. I'll just go through this because I know I'm going on. All right, Sardis. Outwardly, verse 1, they had a name. Thou hast a name. Outwardly, they were the model church. But in reality, it was only a cover-up, a facade to mask over their true inner condition. The more externals are emphasized, the more internals are diminished. And I think that's what's going on. You have a name. You have a name. You're the model church. Everybody looks to you. But there's something else underneath. So they're called upon to, number one, verse two, be on guard, be watchful. Verse two, strengthen, shore up that which remains. Verse three, remember. Verse three, hold fast, muster courage, and cling uh, to who you are in Messiah. Hold fast, repent. Verse three, go back to where you got sidetracked. And then I think it's interesting, verse 4, wherever the heck I am, 3, 4, uh, how it says, um, thou hast a few names. It reminded me of the movie, A Few Good Men. So I, I, Yeshua is still looking for a few good men and women. But it was a few. You have a few. You have a few. You have a few. So that's Sardis. The model church outwardly, internally, not things so good. They have to be told to be on guard Shore up that which remains. Remember, hold fast, repent. And I'm still looking for a few good people. All right, so that's Sardis, six and seven. We're making it. All right, Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia. Uh, where the heck am I? All right, seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth him no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. This is a good thing. And hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. See, that thing's bugging them too which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world and try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, Philadelphia. They are really doing the best they can with what they have. And they are. 
they have a little strength. But it's so powerful. Uh, verse 8. Uh, now where am I? Who am I talking to? Is it verse 8? Uh, look where it's a little strength. Oh yeah, verse 8. I know thy works, behold, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it for for thou hast a little strength and have kept my name and hast denied, uh, kept, kept my word and hast not denied my name. I love that. They were really doing the best they could with what they had, their little strength. And they're doing so well that they get a personal validation and a promise of further blessing and usefulness. Verses 9 through 10. Before leaving them, Yeshua in this, this letter image, before leaving them, they get a final word of encouragement to hang in there and to know he is with them even as they face trials and difficulties in the days of head, ahead. And that's verse 10-11, that hour of temptation which is going to come. This is great. These guys are doing good. They just have a little strength. So he promises. He gives them personal validation. He promises further blessings and usefulness. And then they get a final word of encouragement to hang in them even though they're going to have to face difficulties in days ahead. Wow. It's a great church. Last one. Laodicea. Everybody knows this church. This is the one that's always preached about. And unto the angel, 14, of the church of Laodicea, it's right. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I am going to barf you out of my mouth. And that really is the word. I'm going to throw up. 17. Because thou sayest, I'm rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Let's read that again. This is their assessment of themselves. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't need a thing. But Yeshua's assessment, you don't even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow. Boy, are they self-deluded. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him. And we'll stop with him. And he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame him, sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath me let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, I'm going to tell you what I got. How I got this, I don't know. And, and it's, it's just me. So anyway, the Laodiceans are so messed up, they are absolutely clueless. Verse 17, you don't know. You have no idea what the true condition is. So I'm going to tell you what their condition is by way of an anal- of analogies that I somehow came up with as I was thinking about what the heck's going on with these people. All right? They are salt that has lost its saltiness. They are lights that are reduced to a mere flickering. They are like a house with all the furnishings but no power to run the appliances and with no sources of nourishment left to sustain them. 
They are the cold container of water that has sat in the hot car. You know what that's like, right? They are us. Now, notice that I found this interesting. Verse 18. Uh, I counsel thee to buy of me. Notice, Yeshua isn't going to just give them what they need. They have to pay for it. You know, that's where modern-day parents fall apart, not, not you guys here, is we just do everything for our kids, give everything to our kids. You know, let your kid fall down every once in a while. Yeah, they're going to get scraped. You know, just, just sometimes, as Dr. Dobson said, tough love in relation to our kids. Here's Yeshua saying, I got everything you need. I'm not going to give it to you, sorry. I'm not going to give it to you. You want it? Buy it. You want it? Come get it from me. Right here. Come get it. What we want God to just do, we, we measure blessings. Look at our million-dollar complex and all these things that God has given us. He's blessed us, he blesses us, he blesses us. And you don't know that you're poor, naked, miserable, and blind. What's he say? Long gold. You know the gold that you just put on the, the, the uh, handles in that bathroom or the gold plating around the mirrors that made us... A, <laughs> No, you buy the gold for me that I want you to have. All right, let's finish. So, here's what's interesting. We're going to wrap it up with this. I just, and I've mentioned this prior. He starts out talking to the churches. Five out of the seven are supposed to need to repent. He ends the whole book with the world's not going to repent. They're still going to be mad at God no matter everything that he throws at them. They're still going to put their fists in the face of God and not repent. Book ends. The church needs to repent. The world needs to repent. We're big on the world repenting. When's the last time you repented of anything? When's the last time? Really, think about it. What have you repented of? We don't repent anymore. We don't weep and wail and gnash our teeth before God about anything anymore. We don't fall at the altar and weep and sob. We don't do what happened with Jonathan Edwards with the revival in New England where the people were just screaming out and crying, gripping onto the pew in front of them. Fingernail scrapes were actually left in the backs of the pews while people thought they were just falling into the pit of hell. Repenting. What do we need really, We'd be hard pressed to come up with a list of things we need to repent. Maybe. Even if we come up with a re- list. Me? I'm talking to me. Am I repenting? And ah, we wonder. Alright, now. So, okay, notice. Alright, so I'm just gonna call these things and we're done. Alright, two five. What churches need to repent? Uh, Ephesus. Chapter two, verse five. Remember, therefore, from whence I are fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I'm coming. Right, Pergamus, verse 16. Repent or else. I just think that's really interesting how this works. Because it's ba- verse 5. Repent or else. Then you get 16, next church. Repent or else. What do you mean, repent or else? We don't like the or else. We don't even like to repent. I mean, this is a, quite the ultimatum here. Uh, verse 21. 
and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And you know what? I'm going to kill her and her children with death. I like that 23. I will kill her children with death. Well, what do you kill them with? Right? I will kill them with death. That's like redundant. Because I will kill them. I will, no, I will kill them with death. <laughs> it's, it's like a double whammy. Uh, so anyway, that, there you got repent there. Uh, Sardis, chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. And let's see, 19 of chapter 3. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten be zealous, therefore repent. So the only two churches that don't repent are Smyrna. There's no message to repent or Smyrna in Philadelphia. Five out of seven. I don't know. I just love this. And probably because... I've just been three times through this book in the last, I don't know, couple months. So it's just like right before my eyes. And seeing these things and putting it together, for me personally, it's been just so, so I was going to say fun, but so fun. You know, coming up with the acrostic, realizing the bookends that are in this, churches and churches. Even so, even so, repent church, repent world. Nobody's repenting. <laughs> Neither end of and where are we? Are we Laodicea? No. You know who we want to think we are? Smyrna and Philadelphia. Oh, we're Smyrna and Philadelphia. We don't need to repent. Well, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But I, I've realized with me, and I'm the biggest one, you know, the preacher gets up there and says all this hard stuff to everybody. Well, if the preacher's honest, he's the one that really probably needs it the most because this is what's going on in his own life. So, I read about these churches and I read about these conditions and I read about the satanic struggles and the false doctrine and all the things and wanting to give up and quit and focusing on the wrong things and being strong on doctrine or being strong on wishing to with Jesus. There's all these things in here. And I'm telling you, he loved us enough to write us a whole book about this stuff. And we're ignorant of it. Again, preacher preaching to himself. I don't know, folks. We're, we, 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 uh, we're playing. I still can't get us to read our Bibles. If I could just get us to read our Bibles. To actually make that number one priority above everything else. Above your wife, above your kids, above your job, above your sleep, above your food, above everything. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Until it becomes to us that important, we're really just fooling ourselves and playing at this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for ringing my bell. I mean, actually... My wife's sitting here, she knows, and you know, the true condition of my heart and everything else. And so I'm not yelling at everybody without, uh, and excluding myself. We're all into this, and maybe more, and probably more so me than anybody. However, that being said, just help us to just, kind of just prostrate before you, at least at some point every day, and allow you to humble us. And then to reveal to us our true condition through your word. 
not as an intellectual exercise alone, not just know things, but so that we can know ourselves as you know us. And then maybe we can truly become pliable in your hands and become more conformed to the image of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.